Well, it's great to see you this morning. It's great to be here. Just hang on, I'll catch my breath. All that exercise, you know. There was a word from Proverbs, something about someone saw me running, but I wasn't going to do it or something. Anyway, it was uh, something that came up on Facebook some time ago about running and exercise. But before we go any further this morning, we're just going to, uh, to sit and uh, take a minute or so just to reflect on the songs we've just sung, reflect on where we are today and ask God's blessing on us. So just sit quietly and to spend some time with yourselves with God. Thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome this morning for everyone that's here. And I really felt that this morning I'd like to um, acknowledge the passing of Auntie Esther um, last, early last week. Um, we got to know when we were doing a bit of work over at Kahuna and one of God's lovely ladies, um, they sent her out with a, a guard of honour when they were moving her down to um, Adams. They sent her out from the hospital with the Guard of Honour with all the staff there and uh, she's going to be sadly missed in our community. Um, she worked a lot for her own mob but she worked a lot for other people too. So our prayers and thoughts are with Esther's family and uh, they celebrate her life a bit later in uh, next month too. But we'll go from there. So it's great to be here this morning and uh, thanks to the worship team and that last song, I Surrender All, that used to be a favourite of Billy Graham and Leighton Ford Crusades, but is that our prayer this morning? I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all. Even though we've been a Christian maybe for 40 years or five minutes, do we surrender all to him? So this morning I'm going to be talking on unity. So, let's see if this thing is working, it's turned on. Whack up the first slide, heads, and see what happens. Beautiful. Oh, look at that. Works beautiful. Great. So we talked on unity this morning. So as we come together, it's been a very stressful two, three weeks. And um, fire brigade are down at Bort at the moment, trying to put out a fire down there too. So it's been many, many hours spent talking to Brookie this morning that uh, the Tim's been flat out for the last two or three weeks trying to divert water everywhere. And it's been really hard for those of our members. We know that... Um, good to see you, Nick. You've got into town, great. Yeah, well, welcome back to the world. <laughs> yeah. And Dean's been flat out too, and uh, our radio and TV star, and you know, the stuff he's been doing over there on, the, on his side of the... <laughs> well, no, uh, outside the levee, no, but anyway. And uh, we do welcome a new uh, Kerrang member too, Leanne Lacey's moved into town too, so yeah, welcome to Kerrang. But it's been really stressful for everybody. I've hardly seen much of my wife, but... Uh, yeah, we used to live in a small community of probably about a couple of hundred people. And, uh, you know, it's like in a couple of hundred people that they know everything that you've done and what you're doing, even know what colour socks you've got on and what you're having for tea tonight. But uh, we had some times when we had floods and we had other disasters that happened and, and deaths in the community and that, but we knew that 
those same people that knew what it was and were, were telling them that uh, all these different things were going on about your life, that they were there for you. And community's really great. And thank all those that have really put their hands up this couple of weeks to do. And even though Kirsty and oh, we haven't been able to do things out there physically, we've been able to stay behind and pray for our, our, our workers. We've been able to support them in different ways. And thank you to those that made um, cakes and food that went down there and, and leash with a coffee cart and all that sort of thing. And Leanne as well too, that uh, thank you for the work and, and uh, Max and Margie and others that, uh, and others that were there and went, there were others that were doing so. Thank you for that. So this morning I'd like to keep the mood a little bit lighter and uh, the subject we're looking at today is one of hope and encouragement. So unity. And uh, we're committed to teaching on being one as he and the Father are one. So remember back in the, uh, in the 80s and 70s that uh, everyone, uh, uh, a speaker, had to get up. One of the first things that they used to do was that every speaker was told to tell a joke. So here we go. This is a joke about painting, so you know, I used to enjoy painting when I was a bit fitter and you know, four-inch brush and a roller, and uh, I was reasonably good at it, but uh, yeah, but it was... Uh, so it's actually a religious painter. So there's this pastor, and um, it come time to be able to paint the church, but back in those days, these pastors didn't have very much money and uh, the car tyres were all bald and uh, there's just him and his family and very small community in the church. He said, well... The church was really looking bad, so he stripped it back and did everything he could. He went down to his local hardware store and uh, he saw him down there and said, what do you want, mate? I said, I want some paint. Uh, I've only got this much money. So she was able to give him a pot of paint as far as it could go. So he starts off and away he goes and it was only around a couple of walls and he was nowhere near. So he thought, well, what I'll do is I'll top it up with some water. So he put more water in it and he had another big pot, so he gets down again and gets down to another half, so he puts some more water in it and gets down to a quarter and puts some more water on it. And by the time he's finished, it's, it's water with a, a, a little bit of paint, not much in it. So suddenly there's this great thunderstorm comes over and the rain comes down and all the paint's washing down the walls. Here he's disappointed and this voice from heaven said, Repaint and thin no more. <laughs> So you want me to keep going or do you want me to leave now? <laughs> eh? You can leave, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. So this morning we're looking at one of our core values and we've got the slide up there. And it says that we are committed to Jesus' teaching that we are one and he and as he and his father are one. So it's great to know that we are one as he and his father are one. So it comes from John chapter 10 verses 22 to 39. So... Oh, yeah, there it goes. Beautiful. So we'll do the Bible reading and uh, we'll take it from there. So John 10, 22 to 39, we'll go right through it. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
Isn't that a real promise? My Father who has given me, given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, for which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him for saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It's not written in your law, I say, you are gods. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. I do not know the works of my Father. <coughs> uh, if, you, if I do not know the works of my Father, do not believe in me. But if I do, though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. So before we go any further, we'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your, um, the way it be able to talk to us, the way it teaches us, and, Father, your love that's shown through it. And Father, as we look into it this morning, that um, your spirit may guide and lead, and, Father, that the uh, words may be anointed and they may be your words and not mine. Just be with us this morning, pray in Jesus' name. Thank you. So we're going to try and get a bit of context around the, uh, the passage that we've, uh, we've just read. So I'll just go back to chapter 9, which I haven't got down, but it tells the story of a man born blind. And uh, Jesus heals him by spitting on the ground and making some mud and putting it on his eyes. And it's interesting the way that Jesus has healed different people in different ways. Uh, he doesn't do it the same all the time. So he put the mud on the eyes and the man's eyes were opened. He then told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and he came home seeing now his neighbours were asking him if he was a man who was sitting there begging and asked how his eyes were opened. And he replied that Jesus had done it. Now the Pharisees get involved and they interrogate the man and he tells them how he was actually healed. Then his parents were brought into the argument and questioned as to whether the man had really been blind. And they said, well, you can ask him yourself, and they were be able to satisfy him that he was born blind. He'd been blind from birth. Not satisfied, the Pharisees have another go at the man and ask him how he had been healed. So we're probably exasperated, he said. He'd already told them how it happened. Now, the Pharisees said that Jesus was a sinner, to which the man replied whether he's a sinner or not. I was blind, but now I can see. The real reason that the Pharisees uh, said he was a sinner it's because he healed on the Sabbath. It was against their laws to heal on the Sabbath, and that's why they said that he was a sinner. It's important that context how the Pharisees saw Jesus as a sinner that brings us to our setting for our passage. So the start of chapter 10 is well known to us. Uh, back when I was in Sunday school, um, part of our Sunday school anniversary was we'd all get up there as uh, Sunday school students and we had to recite a passage and it was John 10, 1 to 10. And we were all reciting the passage, and suddenly, halfway through the passage, um, everyone forgot what they were saying. And then we started again. It was just one of those freaky things. But anyway, but it was John chapter 10, and uh, we all know John 10, 10, that he came, that we might have life and have it abundantly. But we'll get a little bit of context from this too. <clears throat> so his sheep know him by name. 
and this is important in the context of the whole thing, that uh, Jesus' sheep know him by name. This comes from the way the sheep were penned overnight. Uh, not like us out here, we had big paddocks of sheep and thousands and thousands and then we get them in. But uh, they had a pen there and a, uh, multiple shepherds would bring their sheep in and uh, because they knew them, if they had 50 or 100 sheep, um, say if we were going to go into there and they got to the morning, right over, got the sheep out and, and uh, take them out to the, uh, be able to graze them for the day, they'd just call and each of the sheep would know each shepherd by name. So that's how they're able to keep multiple pens within the, um, uh, within the one place. So they're able to know them by name. And uh, it also may be a reference later in the chapter in verse 16 where Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. As we can see, this refers to the Gentiles being brought out into the fold. A lot of this is familiar to people listening to them there and um, this actually, the reference comes from the Old Testament where the metaphor for a shepherd was a king or referred to a king. So Jesus, by saying that he was a shepherd, he was referring to himself as the king. This is significant in our reading as the people listening were asking if he was the Christ in verse 24 when Jesus said he was the good shepherd. Jesus also refers to three different people in the first 15 verses or so, 13 verses. And first one he said that in verse 5 was a stranger. The second in verse 8 they were thieves and robbers. And the third they were those that came in, the hired hands who runs away when the wolf attacks. They had no interest in the sheep that were there. The ones that Jesus was talking about at this stage was the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And this is because, we go back to chapter 9, that they treated one of his sheep badly and treated the blind man in the previous chapter. Thieves and robbers were used as metaphors for the failed... Sorry, thieves and robbers were used as metaphors for the failed Jewish, Jewish leaders in the Old Testament. Jesus deliberately reused the shepherd parable from Ezekiel 34. So from this background, we can have a look at today's reading in the light of what we've learned, that these Jewish leaders were called thieves and robbers, and he was talking to the Pharisees and talking to those uh, Jews that were standing there. So these two chapters run on to each other. When you get to chapter 11, there's a completely different story again. So we look at our core value again. It says, we are committed to Jesus' teaching that we are one just as he and the Father are one. Yeah. So these are the um, claims that Jesus said for himself. So in these passages, we've seen that Jesus said that he is the good shepherd, and he reiterates this a little bit later on in verses 26 and 27. And those he's talking to are not his sheep because they don't believe. Jesus gives them eternal life, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Isn't that a great thought once again? And then in verse 30 it says that I and the Father are one. So this uh, passage we're reading this morning is a continuation of chapter 9 and the first few verses of, um, of chapter 10. In verse 24 the people are saying, uh, tell him if he was the Christ. Verse 25 starts a discourse of Jesus being able to give eternal life. 
He tells them that was by the miracles he did in his father's name, they speak for him. The miracles he was doing. So they've seen the father, they've seen the Christ in the miracles that he did. Verse 25 starts at that discourse. He tells them of the miracles he did. So seeing the commotion started in the place from healing of the blind man, the issue here is in verses 19 to 21, which we didn't read before, there was division among those who were hearing Jesus. Some said that he was demon-possessed, and others said that he, how could a demon-possessed man open the eyes of the blind? So this is why Jesus answered what he did in verse 24. You've seen the miracles that I've done. To some it was obvious, and to others it wasn't. And some of us too, we can look at the things that Jesus says, and some of it's obvious, and some of it's not. And to those that standing there, we're telling people about Christ. To some of them, it may become obvious there, the Holy Spirit may touch them, and others may just go, no, can't see that. So this was the crowd that he was talking to. Jesus continued using the analogy of the Good Shepherd to bring his point home, that he was the Christ, and the miracle should have been enough uh, to a sign that he was. And by doing this, he was putting himself in the same position as God, and that's why they started to get really narky, that he was putting himself, that he was saying that he was God. And saying that God has placed sheep in his hand, he was complaining, he was proclaiming that he was the son of God. I and the Father are one, verse 30, completes the claim of being the Christ. So all through this passage we can see that how Jesus claims were being shown and Jesus claims were being proved. So verse 31 to 33 it says that the people picked up stones to stone him not because of the miracles they were doing, but the blasphemy he spoke in saying that he was a Christ. So when it come down to his only answering the questions of verse 24, answer the question, are you the Christ? And he went right through that passage and said that I am he, I am he, I am he, and uh, they were still upset. So he was, that's the context so, of being able to see that. So verses 34 and 35, an interesting statement to make. It says that you are gods. Seems a funny thing in the context of the passage to quote this psalm, which is Psalm 82.6. But it pertains to what Jesus was saying to those that were accusing him. Now, some people have taken this and some denominations have taken this to say that we are gods. They're putting themselves in the place of gods. But this is little g gods. So he was actually still talking to the Pharisees and uh, talking to others. And so we look back to the original question this time in a better position to answer it. The key to understanding John 10.34 in Jesus used the Old Testament question about from Psalm 82. Is Psalm 82 about? The answer is found by reading a brief uh, verse of the psalm, but we won't do that. So in verse 2, the reference reference to the God says, How long will you judge unjustly? and accept the persons of the wicked. That's Psalm 82. About unrighteous judges, uh, so Psalm 82 is about unrighteous judges, the judges of Israel. These were called Elohim, which is a name for God, or gods, with a small g, because of their position of judging in Israel in the place of God. Yet Psalm 82 indicates that many of these judges did not act righteously. So 82.6, as can be seen, Jesus was in fact calling his accusers false judges by applying these passages to them. To them, 
And then he goes on to point out the error of accusing him of blasphemy despite the clear, father's clear approval of the son in verse 36 of the passage. Then in verse 38 he asserts the interpenetration of the father and the son. The father is in me and I am in him, which is followed again by the attack of the Jews, which causes Jesus to withdraw uh, from Judea, Judea in verse 40. Now that we have um, ascertained from this passage that Jesus and the Father are one, we can look at a few verses to back this up. Might have gone back too far. Uh, a few verses to back this up. Oh, yeah, so um, before we go into this, before we look at the verses, we'll look at the statement, a couple of statements here. That Jesus, when he was on earth, was fully human and fully God. As part of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit were one. In the same and the same, each with their own ministry, which was separate but overlapped. So this is the starting point of saying that Jesus claimed that he and the Father are one, that he was fully man and fully human, uh, fully human and fully God while he was here on earth and he was part of the Trinity. So these are some of the verses. Philippians 2, 5 and 6. You must have the same attitude that Jesus, that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. John seventeen twenty one, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that thou also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship to the Father who made him known. We could probably pull out our Bibles and probably find quite a few different more verses on, on God and, and, and Jesus being one. But they're just a few examples and that really brings us home to us that the word says that the relationship between God and Jesus is one. There are many more examples in the Bible and um, these few can confirm the deity. So we'll come back to a core value and that unity is dependent upon unity upon the unity that God and Jesus have. Firstly, as believers, it is the same Holy Spirit dwells within us. If we go back to the Trinity, he is an, equal part, he is an equal part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit can only witness uh, him to himself in believers' lives. Therefore, Jesus' teaching in John 10 that only his sheep will know him is reflected in, in this. These are the ones that God has given me and he will not let them go. This is a great comfort for believers to know that God has you and has you forever. I believe in once saved, always saved. That when you come to Christ, that he will keep you forever. For those who are not yet believers, they can come to God as well too by accepting that Jesus became sin and died for the world's sin. And accepting Christ as their saviour by repenting of sin, they too can become a part of God's family. No doubt we all have families that are far from God, but if we continue to pray for them, 
and that they have everyone has an opportunity to become known with Jesus. It is um, uh, it is an encouragement to continue to praying and witness to them. There is hope that they have opportunities to come to Christ, because Jesus became sin and died for the world. Nobody is outside the opportunity for salvation. When we meet for communion, we meet in common unity. I spoke on this uh, when Bob, before he left, when we were going through Corinthians, that it's common unity when we join together. It's not just um, saying, thank you, Father, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. We're drinking together in unity, and that brings us together as a communion. And what Jesus did on the cross brings us together in communion. And when we celebrate communion, we're celebrating with everyone around the world. Isn't that a a real um, thing to know that everywhere around the world when we celebrate communion here, that uh, when they go to church uh, in New Zealand, they've already had communion and we we rock around the world, that everyone celebrates communion together. We're all one in Christ Jesus. The cross of Christ brings all people from all denominations into unity one another. But there's a, a caveat to that not matter what denominations, but the providing these people have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, that we're all one in Christ Jesus. And the cross of Christ brings us all together, doesn't it? So in Romans eight sixteen to 17, the spirit itself bears witness to our spirit and that we're all children of God. So that was a praise of what we were talking about just then. So Romans 8, 16 and 17. Um, the spirit itself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And then I found that this is possibly my favourite verse. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. There's going to be suffering of the we is. Jesus suffered for us. But what he did on the cross, how he brought us back, brings us in unity to him. Back in the, um, the days when you were a slave, you could be adopted into the family. And we were slaves to sin, weren't we? And we've been adopted into Christ's family. And we're joint heirs with him. We have everything that he has. And that's a, a wonderful promise to know. And notice in verse 16 it starts that the spirit bears witness with, with our spirit and the same spirit within us bears witness to other believers. So today we have a promise that we have unity one with another and a congregation as we're in Christ and the congregation. So John 13:35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We who are disciples of Jesus need to show this unity and love to the world if we want to evangelise. Without unity, peace is impossible. Think about that. Without unity, peace is impossible. If we're all pulling in different directions, not only will confusion reign, but divisions will occur and the church will implode. So without unity, peace is impossible. And Kirsty was talking about peace earlier on. And to have the peace from there to be in unity. So that doesn't mean that we can't have different ideas and opinions, which is great. But these ideas and opinions must be worked through by prayer, backed up by scripture 
and fit with the overall vision the Holy Spirit has given to the church. So we're all working together as one and we'll be able to bring different things to that. So whatever our giftings might be in that, that we'll be able to bring those giftings to one. So we are one together, we're one in the Spirit. So the song that uh, I remembered, I can't put it up because we haven't kicked it off with the CLI stuff, so yeah. And you probably remember the song for those that may be a bit older than Jason, but we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be destroyed, restored, not destroyed, and they'll know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. We'll walk with each other, we'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk with each other, we'll walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. We'll work with each other. We'll work side by side. We'll work with each other. We'll work side by side. And we guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. All praise to the Father from whom all things come. All praise to Christ Jesus, his only Son. All praise to the Spirit who makes us one. Make us one, Lord. Make us one, Lord. I've decided to follow Jesus and the song we sang before that, um, yeah, what we sang about being committing ourselves to Christ. And if we do that together in unity as a church congregation, as we seek Christ's face, as we seek the Holy Spirit's leading, and as we go on from here, as we move on from this time, uh, from the floods and the things that are going to come up, as we move on as a congregation, and we see where Christ and the um, Holy Spirit is going to take us, that we'll all be in prayer. So come along next Sunday night for prayer, for starters, and pray in your own place as well. So before we finish, um, Fred, a couple of elders and that, if you need prayer this morning, if you're anxious, you need someone to be able to pray with you, there'll be people down here to be able to pray. And before we go out and have a fine lunch, and I'll finish at 11.35, answer. That wasn't too long, was it? Yeah, beautiful. Answer, I didn't have to speak too long. So before we do, we'll just close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the unity we have one with another. Thank you that we can rejoice in that, that you came, that you died for sin, and the sin of the world was taken upon you and that you were able to cleanse us from that sin. And, Father, we can come to you. Father, we do pray for those in our families that do not know you. We lift them right before you again too, Jesus. We pray in your Holy Spirit's name that you may touch them. We want to see each one of them come to that relationship with you. And we pray for that in Jesus' holy name. Pray for that. Just be with us today as we have this time of fellowship. And Father, that I'll say grace at this stage as well too. When we go and meet together for fellowship, Father, that your blessed food to us and the fellowship in Jesus' name. We pray all this and everyone said, Amen.